Hi there, and welcome to Be a Global Citizen, the podcast that explores the concept of global citizenship through the lens of value-creating education. My name is Scott Bauer, and I'm a SOCA researcher and educator. I hope you find the discussions, stories, and insights on this podcast to be valuable and inspiring as we strive to become global citizens who are committed to living a contributive life. Today on the podcast, I spoke with Nir Fromovich about his thoughts on global citizenship. Nir is a product manager at Microsoft and also teaches computer science at a public high school. He is originally from Israel and now lives in Seattle, Washington. He talks about the importance of education that instills a drive to learn about the self and the world. His insights about math, computers, leadership, storytelling, and global citizenship are tied to his personal and professional experiences. Enjoy the conversation. So hello, uh, my name is Nir Broimovich. I'm currently in Seattle, Washington in the United States. And um, I work for Microsoft. I'm a product manager for Microsoft. I am also a high school teacher. Uh, I teach computer science in a public school in Seattle that caters for newcomer, immigrant, and refugee students who are also English learners. Yeah, that's that's me. Hi, Nir. Thank you so much. I, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. I'm very excited to learn more about your your career, but also like I think more importantly, just kind of like what led up to that, you know, like the various kind of different turning points in your journey. Um, why Microsoft? Why education? Right, teaching in high school. Um, I actually didn't know that about you. I thought you just worked at Microsoft, and and it, here you are doing, you know, probably ten other things beyond just that too. Um, so you know, you've definitely lived a very interesting life and are doing really big, important things. So um, yeah, let's let's unpack some of that in this uh, this conversation. And so um, you know, I as I mentioned, right, um, it, there's probably many different like turning points or like, you know, how your career developed over the years. I'm, I'm really interested to hear more from you about kind of um, maybe like going back to like a really important point of like kind of launching yourself in a certain direction. Um, what were a few milestones, if you will? And then how did we end up, like you said, working at Microsoft and teaching? Yeah. Okay. So let me... Um... Let me kind of like start at the beginning and don't worry, I'll accelerate uh, to, to get us to the present. Uh, so I'm originally from Israel. I was born and raised in Israel to uh, Romanian Jewish immigrants. So I'm uh, first generation in Israel. And um, I went to the Israeli military um, as people do from Israel. And this is where I got my first exposure to computers um, back in the mid nineties, which is uh, kind of funny to think about. Um, after I got out of the military, like a lot of Israelis, I did a trip abroad. Uh, for me, it was the United States, which is a little bit uncommon. It's usually uh, South America or Asia. And um, I really fell in love with how big the U.S. was. And uh, about a couple of years later, I decided to uh, move to the United States and pursue my bachelor's degree in New York. So I moved to New York and I went to Columbia University. I graduated in uh, computer science and economics. Um, you know, I have to mention, just given the date and the month, that uh, I was actually in Manhattan on September 11, 2001. I was just beginning my sophomore year. Um, that was a pretty interesting, devastating time to be in New York. Um, and 
uh, in many ways, it's interesting that I, I was there at that time. Um, moving on, though, from that, I uh, did a couple of years at Columbia, took a leave of absence, went to Paris, uh, enrolled at the Sorbonne, and uh, did French studies for a year. Uh, and then went back to Columbia, uh, finished my degrees, worked in New York for one year, and then in uh, 2006, I was hired by Microsoft. And so uh, I made my way across the country and moved to Seattle, and I've been in Seattle ever since. And I've been at Microsoft ever since. So that's almost 18 years. So that's quite quite a lifetime. Um, so at Microsoft, uh, obviously capitalized on my computer science degree. Um, and I'm not going to get into the details of my varied roles at Microsoft, but I can say that very quickly I became a people manager. And that gave me an opportunity to really uh, explore mentorship and career development for others and being someone's manager or, you know, using air quotes, their boss. Uh, people have uh, expectations of their managers. They're infected by their managers. That just that was a pretty lousy one <laughs> for the beginning. Um, I learned a lot of lessons in terms of the impact that I had on people as part of that mentorship role. Um, you know, that, that all ties to, you know, fast forward 10 plus years, me getting to education, uh, I owe a lot of the people management experience and learning uh, at Microsoft to uh, wanting to be a better mentor, a better teacher, uh, and getting some of those uh, skills. Um, so yeah, at Microsoft, I am what's known as a product manager. And, and so without kind of getting into a lot of technical details, product managers are storytellers. Um, they tell the story of what a product we need to build for our customers, and they tell that story to management. Uh, we tell that story to our engineers who are going to build the, the product. We tell the story to our customers once we release the product. And storytelling is a very important piece uh, of education and teaching and mentorship, really. I think that you can uh, give clarity to people by uh, being able to pick the right story and telling it in a way that resonates with people. And so after 10 years of Microsoft, about midway uh, to my current career, I decided that I actually want to go and try out um, teaching and exploring. And so this is where I started pursuing my computer science teaching in local high schools in Seattle. And I just started my fifth year uh, teaching. Uh, like I said, I'm teaching in uh, a public school in Seattle right now that caters to uh, immigrants and refugee kids. Uh, but before that, I also taught in a high school that caters for kids with autism. And uh, that also presented uh, a very unique opportunity, both from the impact that you can have on someone's life. Uh, kids with autism often don't have um, the programs where they can be themselves and be surrounded by people who um, cater to their needs while also having expectations of them. And, giving them the opportunities to really learn. By the way, neurodiverse kids are amazing computer science. <laughs> so uh, we, should do, we should do more of that. Um, and then after two years, that school finished that program. It's like transition to other schools. Um, one last thing that I'm gonna say before I'm gonna hand it off to you is the past couple of years, uh, I've also been teaching Python in the University of Washington uh, in the School of Continuing Education. This was my first foray into teaching adults um, who, in the evening, uh, adults who, working adults, so 
you know, uh, they take their time to take those classes for various reasons um, and catering that curriculum to their needs and making sure that the three hours they spend in class every week and then the many other hours they spend on work is uh, worth their time and provides them the enrichment that they care about. Um, was an interesting challenge. I did uh, stop with the University of Washington because I recently started my uh, master's in education, which is taking up my interests. Yeah, but that that in a nutshell is is me. Amazing! Well, I, what a life you've lived, and um, you know, such such value you've created from you know your many experiences living in different countries, um, going abroad, right? Not just to the U.S. But then also to to France and um yeah and just like you know the kind of impact that you've been able to have I find it so amazing when we have like teachers who like prior to teaching worked you know in in some kind of you know like industry or in a corporation where you know of course their their own learning and their knowledge of like their their role was like so specific and so it's like that real world application that when you then go to teaching it's you know it tends to be that kind of theory right the abstractness but for you to then bridge the theory and the practice and to say well actually this is how the theory applies in a real world scenario because you live that I feel like that's so much more compelling uh, for a student to be like oh okay yeah I can I can see that like this would be important then right they're they're more easily you know convinced and persuaded uh, to like pursue it a little further because you know there's different thresholds with subjects of like seeming like seemingly disconnected somewhat monotonous but then they get it right you have the aha moment of like okay this is this is why I'm doing it and I would imagine that now you know you you said that you had a, a stint of a, I don't know how many years but you said that you were teaching Python at the University of Washington um, teaching adult like working adults um, and so same thing, you know, to, to be able to like make it clear to them, like, what is the value proposition, but also like kind of how do we get there, the scaffolding needed. Um, so, I, I would also say that for me, those experiences, um, I love teaching. I love teaching computer science. I really enjoy the Python teaching. Um, but the, the main reason I pursue these opportunities um, and continue to pursue them is getting visibility into the importance of education to change people's lives. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's a neurodiverse kid in high school, whether it's an immigrant or refugee kid who's also learning English, uh, whether it's a working adult who's trying to um, uh, advance their work or potentially even switch careers. And I'm mostly interested, and I think this interest was validated tenfold, right? In, in those systems that exist to build those programs so that those kids, those adults have somewhere to come and transform and learn. Um, and so just in full transparency, my ultimate goal is not to be a teacher. I will always be a teacher because that's something that I enjoy. Um, but when I'm thinking about, hey, I'm, I'm information gathering or how do I go and build those scalable systems of education? 
that would uh, deliver those positive outcomes to those working adults, to those um, uh, high schoolers. Uh, and that is where I tie my Microsoft uh, experience, where I've spent several years delivering large-scale, multidisciplinary um, solutions that are resilient, that are durable, that are global, um, that will outlive me and my career at Microsoft, but do that in the field of education. Um, and that is ultimately uh, where I bring kind of like the, the skills that I've learned at Microsoft and that um, I enjoy practicing and the things that I implicitly care about, like delivering positive education uh, outcomes to people. Now, positive education outcomes is, that's the subjective part. That's where, I mean, uh, I don't know if we want to get into it here, but you can ask what, how do you define a positive educational outcome? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there's a wide variety and different people in education I'm starting to learn have different goals for how uh, higher education, for example, can, can and should change, transform people citizens uh, and so on mm. well that's that's amazing thank you for sharing that kind of like you know window into like what is to come in your your career um and you know you mentioned the word impact right whether that be your impact at microsoft your impact on the, the individual lives of your students but then now thinking more at a, like a systems level of what what kind of like positive impact within education can i can i provide and, um, you know, I, I think a lot of like what we think about this positive educational outcomes that you mentioned um, stem from our own personal experiences. So I would imagine that, you know, you have your own conception of what that means um, and what that is, is very much influenced by what you've experienced, you know, dating back to when you were, you know, growing up in Israel, um, what what your experiences were like going through the military, coming to the U.S., going across the country, you know, many other travels that you've probably done um, for both work and for, you know, personal reasons and for fun. And, um, and so, you know, I wanted to kind of hear a little bit more about that because, you know, you are a storyteller, like you said, right? And I think that's also really fascinating too. I would love to hear more about kind of what storytelling at Microsoft really means um, from, you know, your, your experiences with having different products, but, um, but yeah, like going back to, um, yeah, like maybe your, your parents, right. You said they were both, um, immigrants from, from Romania and that, you know, moved to, to Israel. Um, what, what would you say is like a positive education outcome, if you will, um, when it comes to, when you think about your parents in terms of like what they instilled as like a value for you, um, that you still remember and still kind of have as like a pillar? Yeah, that's uh, that's an easy one. And I think any anyone listening who is a child of immigrants, especially first-generation immigrants, is probably, I'm guessing, is going to find this familiar. Uh, so it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. I would say that education in my family is number one. It came before anything else. Like it didn't really matter if I didn't have friends, if I was miserable, as long as I was getting good grades. Mm -hmm. And that created this loop where um, getting good grades 
um, and, and being successful academically um, gave me validation at home um, and gave me also an excuse not to uh, maybe necessarily deal with other um, problems of childhood and young adulthood because there was this like de facto definition of success that I've achieved. Um, and so switching to the other side of the, of, of the blade, right? Um, but it also gave me, um, it taught me how to learn. And, you know, when you learn, you understand the world better, you uh, get agency, uh, knowledge is agency. Mm -hmm. uh, and for me, you know, when I'm thinking about the math, when I'm thinking about languages, when I'm thinking about computer science, um, there's a lot of power in understanding how things work behind the screen, as it were. Um, and, and so for me, education always was um, a very important empowering tool. And, you know, going to Columbia, going to the Sorbonne, getting exposure uh, to the curriculum, the faculty, uh, the student body, it, it was enriching beyond um, anything I could think of. And so even when it was really difficult, uh, the ability to go learn, which for me translated to better understanding the world and therefore better understanding myself in the world, um, was just, and continues to be um, very empowering. So I would say, yeah, uh, my sisters who are not, you know, as good students as I was, uh, suffered <laughs> for that. <laughs> uh, and as the little brother who liked to rub it in their faces, yeah, we had a lot of good times about that. Uh, we're very close. <laughs> of course, you had to as a little brother, right? How, how many sisters did you have? Do you have? Uh, I grew up with three older sisters. Uh, one of my sisters uh, passed away when she was going to have cancer. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, but you know, that's like people get sick and they die. And uh, I was there for her in her last day. So I'm very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. well, you'll always carry the memories of rubbing in her face your your good grades. So cherish, exactly. cherish those memories. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, I really resonate with what you were talking about, um, you know, immigrant parents. Um, I, I have one, my, my mom. Um, who also is a listener on my podcast shout out to the mom and um, yeah I I always felt the, the similar sense that like education was very important it was it was always a priority um, definitely you know if not number one maybe number two right maybe health <laughs> maybe he's number one right I mean any parent right there's there's many priorities let's just say they, there's a certain category at the top and um and yeah so there's always this sense of like yeah through learning um i mean through education you you can appreciate learning and you know going to such premier institutions like you mentioned like with columbia um and learning how to learn and then learning with a purpose of why it is you are engaged with uh you know your your current you know interests and what your passions are i think that's also very important and it's clear from your your story that you know one of your big interests uh, has been with computers, right? Uh, and you mentioned that you first got exposed to computers in the military. Like, what could you share just briefly? Like, 
what was what was that like? Did, did they ask you to do something with computers? And and what about computers fascinated you from the get go? Yeah. Um, so I mean, I was in the Israeli military before Windows ninety five came out, uh, and so rather Windows ninety five came out while I was in the military. Uh, I ran a computer room in an Air Force base uh, that acted as a um, electronics factory uh, for the core. And so, you know, think of it as any any factory that fixes electronic appliances and therefore requires a, a computer mainframe to track orders and uh, progress on the um, print reports, stuff like that. Uh, and so there was a mainframe that ran that factory. There was a small group of computer operators. I was one of them. And so it was it was all brand new, and there was a lot of command lines, you know, stuff. Not no GUI, uh, no graphical user interface. Uh, in fact, I remember when Windows ninety five came out, and that's just a fun story to tell. When I was trying to operate a mouse for the first time, back when they had actual balls. Uh, uh, embedded at the bottom of the mouse, and that I was having a really hard time controlling the cursor because I wasn't practiced. So that's always funny to me to think about that now, uh, given what I do and, um, and what I've been doing for, for almost two decades. Uh, I would say that computers attracted me, first of all, because back then they were a little bit of a superpower. Uh, you know, one of few understood how to uh, operate them and what they did and what they meant. Um, but I think it really all goes back to math for me. And I'm a, a I visualize uh, things. This is how I learn and understand things. Uh, I think math for me is something that is very easily uh, visualized in my mind. Um, walking down a solution and understanding all the components that come together um, to form an answer, to form a solution. Um, and computers at the end of the day uh, are very highly visualized in that way for me as well. I don't know, I think this is a very personal answer that might not make sense to someone who's listening. <laughs> but um, yeah, I would say that's that's why computers, you know, I was attracted to computers. And then, you know, I was also, um, I was a young adult when the internet era started. And so just like anybody and everyone who uh, uh, all of a sudden experienced the level of scale, scale of information, scale of sharing, um, it, it was like magic. It was, it was unbelievable. Um, I think a lot of uh, younger people, me, you are one of them, <laughs> uh, who basically like always knew the internet um being there moving from i remember using a rotary phone to um seeing the internet connect us in the way that it does and change the world it's still changing the world um and so that was an immediate like yes i want to be part of that and understanding it and being able to uh, learn it and know it and act in it and with it uh, was very intoxicated. And still is actually. I I'm a I'm a technologist 
I'm a huge believer that uh, we truly can achieve at scale innovation and change that's transformative with technology. Uh, and I know that that's a, it's a sensitive topic in education. And I'm not one of those people who think who, you know, that teachers can be replaced by technology. Um, I don't. I think technology is a powerful tool. And I think that teachers should uh, wield it. And I think that we have a long way to go uh, on that. As evidenced by the pandemic, <laughs> for example. And it's not just teachers, it's educational systems. Wow. Well, thank you so much for for that that response. Because, um, yeah, it, it it sounds to me that you know this this love of uh you know computers it stems from math. Um, and you, I think, by way of saying that, like you know, with the with the the advent of the computer and like the kind of moment in history where suddenly the internet was proliferating and becoming more present in everyone's lives, it truly felt like magic. So I guess you can also say that math is like magic too, right? <laughs> in a way. Um, and it just so happens that the way you think and how you structure your you know, thought process and make it visual and with the framework of math, I, I think um, is, is a superpower that um, has led to such incredible you know, advancements, not just you know, Microsoft specifically, but like you know, what we're experiencing with the whole revolution of the products that we we come to depend upon, rely on, um, in our everyday use, and um, you know, it's it's, it's interesting because like I don't think in such mathematical terms, so maybe the magic wears off a little bit quicker because I don't know that you know what's happening under the hood. But for you to like apply that in such like so many different scenarios, I think is really like there's a lot to be learned from that kind of outlook. Yeah, and, and you know, actually, I'm, I'm glad you kind of said that. So I think the the key takeaway of, you know, my use of the word magic here is that there is no magic. And uh, you can always learn, even this thing that looks and feels magical, uh, it's within every one of us grasp to understand. Mm. And there is there is a sense of relief in that understanding, and so if you can think of other scenarios, um, subject matters in the world right now, where it's important for us that people understand uh, what's going on, and that they have tools to um, learn. Uh, all the sides of an argument. That's a skill that can be accomplished um, with education. Mm -hmm. And you know, magic is, um, there's a, you know, magic can be something that's fascinating, but it can also be, um, you know, our psychology as humans, our, our need for identity and our uh, great strength which is also a little bit of a weakness, our ability to strongly believe in something blindly, um, gets us to do a lot of things together on mass. We can accomplish amazing things that way, but it also gets us stuck mm. on mass, which gets in the way of us accomplishing things. And yeah. so I think that for me, learning is 
oh, if, if you encounter magic, go understand how it works mm. because there's always an answer. And they yeah. have that curiosity, right? Yeah, exactly. That's very important. And, you know, I, I really appreciate, you know, what you said about that because I think everyone has an inherent capacity and drive to want to learn. Um, everyone experiences, you know, I would say, you know, universal existential questions about like what the phenomena around us, like why is it doing what it is doing, what happens, different stages of life. And, you know, we can see that there's always this, these questions that drive certain behaviors and actions of ours. And um, yeah, and so again, highlighting how education is everywhere. And, you know, the process of learning is not magic in itself, but it requires a lot of hard work and it requires certain structures, right? Different frames to approach it. Um, and, you know, I think not just with what happens in a classroom, but also what you experience outside of the classroom is very important. So I know, you know, you mentioned that um, you left uh, Israel and you decided to come to the U.S. You had um, experiences, you know, at university. You then went and traveled to France and, you know, continued studies over there in a program before then coming back. So um, I'm curious to hear about like, you know, what you learned in the kind of those experiences of like kind of putting yourself into brand new environments. Um, what what you learned from like maybe just like the, the local cultures or maybe through the language process, like is there anything that stands out in terms of like what that process of adapting to different environments was like for you? Like any major takeaways? Yeah, I think that um, having moved around between countries, I had the opportunity to meet locals, obviously, uh, but also other, uh, gosh, I'm gonna use that term, global citizens who move around or, uh, basically came here from another country, wherever here happens to be. Um, and I find that there is, you know, to, to simplify things, there, there are two groups, right? So the, the one group is um, people who hold on to their um, origin country identity very strongly. And so I'll use Israelis as an example. A lot of Israelis in the United States, they're only friends with Israelis. They only consume Israeli media. They shop in Israeli stores that sell Israeli brands. Um, and they're not in Israel, but they have a strong sense of an Israeli community, which I completely understand. And in no way this should be taken as, uh, as criticism. But that is the way that they adapt. They adapt by um, basically creating a simulation of all, and that is very powerful, and um, it's a great way to adapt um, practically. It is not the way that resonated with me. Um, I think that for me, um, adaptation was uh, the shattering of my um, identity that was developed in Israel and the formation of a new identity that is more uh, 
about me and my experiences, which made it easy for me to uh, be in New York, be in Paris, be in Seattle, um, or wherever I travel without trying to curate my interactions with the locals. Um, <laughs> no, that made so much sense. Oh my gosh. Like again, that, the res yeah, it made so much sense. Like it resonates with what I experienced when I first went abroad or when I was living abroad for longer periods of time that um, this, you, you used the phrase like a, to create like a simulation of home. We, we gravitate towards the familiar, right? We want some sense of like solid ground and we don't like being challenged all the time because that can come across as like, you know, threatening, right? And that's, that's not, you don't want to live in that kind of state. So there's many reasons for why, yeah, immigrants would seek the, how shall we say, path of least resistance in a way, because I think your, your process of adapting through shattered identity is, can seem very like dramatic, but in many ways, like I felt that same like necessary point of just kind of questioning my own cultural upbringings, uh, understanding that they're not, you know, perfect, right? And there's room for growth. There's gaps in, in there that I can fill myself. And I think something about really being engaged in the, uh, you know, process of building one's identity is also very agentic, right? In terms of like feeling empowered to, um, you know, really grow into the kind of person that you would want to be, that you feel like others would respect, that you yourself would respect if you just happen to, you know, bump into <laughs> that person. And you, you, you build a community of, you know, like-minded individuals, because again, you're that, that very conscious approach, I think, is something that others who are engaged in a similar process are seeking out. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's partly the reason why we're, the two of us are talking as well, but I just thought that the way you articulated it was very beautiful. And uh, I like that you mentioned the the word global citizen, because yeah, I think that there's, there's no easy path towards becoming a global citizen, other than stepping outside of your comfort zone. And I know that for you, in part, leaving Israel was very much that initial step out of the comfort zone. But I would imagine even in your career, you've encountered many opportunities to also experience like a shattering of your identity. You mentioned about, you know, being at Microsoft and saying that you were lousy uh, in your your one of your initial roles in terms of like trying to support others and like, you know, talking with managers. Um, so maybe if you can speak a little bit more about like, what, what did you mean by lousy? And like, how did you learn to be a better um, employee and be a better storyteller. Yeah, that that's a that's an easy one. So I meant specifically as a people manager, um, and I would I would highlight that this was the beginning. <laughs> um, and this might resonate with others uh, who listen, who are either people managers or have people managers, like the one I'm going to describe, or consider being a people manager. But um, it's very easy to let ego drive your interaction with people who uh, report to you, who you are their manager. Uh, it's very easy to, for example, be concerned that uh, we might not have all the answers, uh, or maybe even that someone who 
uh, reports to you in a hierarchical corporate corporate structure uh, has answers that you might not. And how would that translate to them respecting you um, and, and following your directions? Uh, and how would that look like to an outside observer from the team who might consider, oh, Nir doesn't know what he's talking about, but this person who reports to him actually does, and maybe that person should be the manager. Uh, and this is just like a very simple illustration of the type of uh, insecurities um, that you have to face when you assume any leadership role. And so now the question is, okay, you're in a leadership role um, and you basically need to act as a leader and not as an individual. You're not worried about your feelings and how you look uh, to the outside world. You need to be interested in how can you support people under you uh, and how can you leverage that collective in order to advance a certain goal that you've all assumed and said, okay, let's do that together. And so I think that today when I have new people join my team, what I immediately tell them is, you know, okay, I'm the manager and you're the individual contributor, but those are just titles. We're shoulder to shoulder walking this exact same path. It is true that we have different roles, but that's fine. Just because we have different roles doesn't mean that my opinion matters more or um, that the way that you get treated uh, versus how you should treat me changes. Um, it's very equal. Um, people confuse hierarchies, which kind of makes sense what they would, right? Uh, but they confuse hierarchies for um, mechanisms to share all sorts of resources. And those resources could be respect or you know the right to speak or uh, the right to disagree, <laughs> right? Um, and, and I think that when I was a, a young manager, um, I very much led uh, from the perspective of how does this benefit my career? Um, or how is the situation making me feel about myself? And that ignored a couple of important things. It ignored the fact that people who worked in my team um, did look up to me to, to help them. Because again, I had a role to play. And if I wasn't playing that role, and instead I was worrying about how it makes me look or you know how insecure or validated I feel by someone's behavior, then I wasn't uh, pulling my own weight in that structure and that impacted people because I was still their manager. Um, and so there was, a, there was a, a personal growth that happened when I was like, okay, this is where I get to truly set myself aside and my insecurities and bring the leader in me to the job. And that is never has never worked perfectly. <laughs> um, so when I say that I was lousy at the beginning, what I mean is that I was mostly operating from ego and less from a leadership sense. And I think that that has significantly shifted uh, in the other direction, although ego is always there. 
So I think self-reflection is really important because at the end of the day, and I tell that to people uh, on my team as well, I kind of wrap up with that. Um, I will do something that will uh, annoy you or make you feel uncomfortable. It will happen. I know it will because we're going to be working closely together and it's going to be fast paced. And I also know myself. There are some aspects of my personality that rub people the wrong way sometimes. And so when that happens, you need to tell me and I will immediately believe you because I know that this can happen and it has happened in the past. And so you need to tell me to back off. Now, the only way that this works is if you establish a relationship of approximately people where, you know, because you're like, oh, why would you burden people with telling you to back off? Maybe just don't get to that point. Uh, this is how I manage it. Um, well, thank you for that that clarification. Um, and, you know, to kind of make that important, it, it seems like, you know, it's like what it means to be a good leader. And it sounds like what you described was this process that you've um, undergone um, and continue to undergo um, of like understanding the emotions, um, insecurities of other people by way of really reflecting on what is it that's kind of going on with yourself um, in that personal sense. And so, you know, we talk about, I mean, we, I've, I've been listening to you share like about how like, yeah, global citizenship kind of ties into this, um, you know, process of building one's identity by stepping outside of one's comfort zone and perhaps also taking lead uh, when circumstances dictate um, and having a certain sensibility of the people around you. But would you, well, so first, would you say that's a pretty fair assessment of like what the conversation's been right now? And then also, are there any additional considerations that you would like to add based on your experiences, either in the classroom, uh, in the public school sector, or at Microsoft about what it means to be a global citizen? Yeah, um, I think it's it's a pretty accurate kind of like assessment of what you just described. Um, I think my definition of what it takes to be a global citizen is, well, first of all, you need to have global awareness. Uh, and that does come, you know, whether you hold on to your identity or not, there is something beyond that identity that you need to meaningfully engage with. Uh, and there are different ways of engaging, right? I mean, definitely moving to a different country is one of them. <laughs> but uh, there are other ways uh, of, of engaging uh, globally, especially in, in this world we live in that has uh, um, technology enables the free and immediate flow of information. So there are other ways uh, to do that. It's uncomfortable. I think that knowing that it's going to be uncomfortable and resisting the instinct to go us versus them, because that's what identity does at the end of the day. Uh, identities are designed to, um, and there's, I'm sure, a evolutionary biological good reason for it, but <laughs> Um, they're designed to um, make you suspicious of something that is foreign and different, especially if you're comfortable with your identity and you even relish in it. Um, 
And so you can either be a missionary or you can go to war. <laughs> Choosing two extreme examples for illustration purposes, at least no one, no one do either. <laughs> um, and so I think knowing that there's going to be discomfort and then recognizing, and it's pretty easy to recognize when you're uncomfortable, but using that as a, oh, I'm uncomfortable, therefore there's an opportunity for me. There's a real opportunity for me here mm -hmm. um, to explore that. And there are different ways that you can explore it, right? You can, you can reach out, you can learn more, you can have conversations, you can move, uh, you can do a bunch of different things, right? But I think that the important thing, the the if you go upstream to the source, it's where that discomfort starts. That is the biggest opportunity to uh, recognize that now you can do something that will truly expose you um, to something outside of your identity. Wow, I like that a lot. Like it's like facing, like recognizing the discomfort that you experience confronting it transforming it to then understand that it was all for this this new like this opportunity but this like new vista that was previously hidden away from you that leads to um yeah the, the kind of like zest for life that we're all looking for right maybe it's novelty maybe it's you know deeper understanding maybe it's you know that uh, self-awareness of like wow. it's like learning that we talked about throughout this entire conversation. Ah, so global citizenship is learning. <laughs> learning of other identities and learning of how things work outside of your, you know, paper castle. Yeah, no, I like how like full circle we're coming with this because of how, you know, like you, you were talking about the importance of learning um, and, you know, the seemingly like there's no magic with all of the magic that happens you know, in like math or in computers, right? But I think there's there's also discomfort, right? And being exposed to like a, a new program, like, um, I don't know, Python, right? I know for me, if I were to just like join in your, your class, um, I would probably feel a little overwhelmed at first with just the language of, wow, what's this about? And where do I start? And, you know, how do I get from here to like way over there? Because way over there looks so exciting. And I think it's always that process of like, bridging those gaps and making each stage that kind of aha, right? Conf confront the discomfort and then moving ahead. Um, I think, you know, learning, we want it to be as fluid as possible, right? But, you know, I don't know, sometimes, you know, we we kind of just view it in chunks or little segments. Yeah. And even that is like disjointed, that can be uncomfortable too. So there's nuance to that, definitely. It's easy to... Um live in bullet-pointed goals. And it kind of makes sense. It's efficient, right? There are some certain things you want to achieve, and it's easier for you to consider uh, the summary of the achievement. Rather than all of the storytelling that kind of can, you know, take more of narrative shape, but that narrative is constantly changing, right? You have the power to change and to dictate what that is. Um, and, you know, I think this narrative about what does it mean to be a global citizen is, you know, constantly ongoing. But I like that, you know, we were able to speak a little bit about 
kind of the the initial upbringings, like the kind of personal roots that led you to really understand, like, you know, education to be at the forefront of, you know, your your mission in this life. And it's just fascinating how that's led you to, um, you know, a place like Microsoft, where there's lots of learning happening all the time, but it doesn't happen just out of nowhere, right? It, it requires the kind of like leadership, the right kind of like facilitation and um, the right kind of self-checking of like, where am I at in terms of my ego and how that's conflicting with certain agendas to kind of, you know, grow together with your team, right? Because as you said, you definitely grew a lot in, in this, this time at Microsoft and rightly so, because I feel like at a place like Microsoft, you have to constantly be keeping up and being just ahead um, in that process to really, you know, be at that forefront of like cutting technology, you know, cutting cutting edge technology. Yeah. So good, good on good on you. Uh, and uh, you know, we are kind of um, coming up to the the final minutes of our conversation. Unfortunately, um, there's so much more that we could dig into. Um, it's been so fascinating um, and you know very insightful. Um, so the last question that I, I like to end on um, relates to any book or film recommendations, something that perhaps you've read or watched recently or something that you always go back to. So any any thoughts about that? Yeah, so, you know, I was kind of thinking about uh, a movie that uh, I want to recommend in the context of global citizenship. And one movie that came to mind, it's called Walk on Water. Uh, it's, a, it's an Israel film, like a joint uh, Israeli-German production. It's from 2004. And um, I love the film because it's very multifaceted. Um, it, it involves uh, Jews and Arabs, uh, Jews and Nazis, the Holocaust and the state of Israel, um, heterosexuals and homosexuals and queer society, um, and the, the general kind of like, macho structure of Israeli society. Um, and so that's where, you know, I'm only gonna, I'm only gonna say that. Uh, I think everybody can go and read the, the synopsis uh, online. Um, but what I love about it is, it brings all those identities of the Israeli, of the Jew, of the Palestinian, of the Israeli Arab, of, uh, the, the first generation World War II uh, German person uh, of the next generation of Germans were contending with what happened in World War II and the Holocaust um, and the state of Israel and its existence and how it's perceived by Israelis. And it just brings it all together um, while being very inclusive of uh, the queer community as well. And so there's just something about it that is so multifaceted uh, and complex, but done mathematically very artfully. <laughs> Just brings it all together in a way that works very, very perfectly while also being, you know, a good movie. Well, it sounds amazing. And I definitely want to, to watch it later. So thank you so much, Nir, for that uh, recommendation. And, you know, again, it's just been so, so wonderful getting to know more about your story um, done, you know, beautifully, right? As the storyteller that you are. Um, to to provide this kind of insight into you know what your thought process has been, um, where your you know major you know spurts of growth um, occurred, and how that you know does not end 
you know, at this current moment, but actually it's the kind of a, another launching point for you to do even bigger things that ultimately will lead to uh, a more harmonious and hopefully happy society as they engage in their own process of learning and understanding themselves through identity formation and building. So um, thank you so much. And, you know, I wanted to give the last few words to you to just wrap up our, our conversation. So any last thoughts? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me. This was this was fun. Um, I, I also enjoy your your podcast and listen to other interviews. I thought that they were they were great. Um, yeah, just thank you for uh, giving people the platform to talk about their global uh, citizenry. Um, and I hope that this uh, makes some people think about you know the double-edged sword of identity and. Um, how to harness the power of learning to change the world in the way that you want to change it. Thank you so much, Nir, for being on the podcast with me. I really enjoyed learning more about your thoughts on global citizenship, as well as education more broadly, how it ties back to your values um, from your Romanian immigrant parents, about how important education was, how it is an empowering tool to better understand the world, to better understand yourself, and your journey of going to the US, of learning more about computers, pursuing your interests in math, finding your way to Microsoft. But I think the way that you explained the, the activities, uh, the roles that you played, um, really highlight your constant process of, of learning, of reforming, of uh, bettering your sense of self uh, and identity. And through those actions, you know, being a really good role model for those who are also striving to be better versions of themselves and, dare I say, global citizens. So thank you so much for engaging in this conversation and hope to have you on the po podcast again soon.